Welcome once again to At Home in Your Hymnal. This is Pastor Clint Poppy. Along with me is Pastor Adam Moline. We have sacred music to begin because we're talking about a sacred and holy time in the church year. Today we want to talk about the Triduum, the three days, and specifically about the first of those three days, Monday, Thursday. Monday, Thursday. Uh, Pastor, We've uh, we've been kind of going backwards here. We started with the Easter Vigil, then we went to Good Friday, and now we're uh, doing the uh, Monday Thursday service. So, uh, first of all, Monday. Can you tell us a little bit about that? You know, so often the uh, uh, junior high catechumens think that it's Monday Thursday, and <laughs> yeah. uh, it's just uh, kind of a service that encapsulates all of those days. But the word is a Latin word, and it is Monday. And uh, tell us a little bit about that word. <clears throat> yeah, the word um, in Latin means it can be translated in English "good," so it's Good Thursday. Kind of goes with Good Friday as well, and then Holy Saturday. And the idea is that uh, this is beginning the process of. Um, the good work that our Lord Jesus Christ has done for us. Um, And even if you think about it from a Jewish timeline perspective, where each day begins at sunset, our Monday Thursday services, which are in the evening, uh, remembering the institution of the Lord's Supper, uh, from a Jewish perspective and Jewish time frame, it would already be beginning Good Friday day uh, as soon as the sun sets. And so it starts the passion of our Lord, uh, the work of his salvation accomplished for us by his life, death, and resurrection on Good Friday. In the Lutheran Church, and especially the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, Monday Thursday has been a very, very significant day in the life of the church. Uh, certainly it's the day that our Lord and Savior Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper. Probably more things happened on that one day in our Lord's life than any other day, and we'll uh, expand on that in a little bit as well. But in the history of the Lutheran Church, traditionally, junior confirmation took place on Palm Sunday. And so your uh, junior confirmads were confirmed on Palm Sunday, and then they would all come back together for their first communion on Monday, Thursday. And so this is a, a, a traditional, traditionally and historically very significant day in the church. Back in the days when our congregations only had the Lord's Supper a handful of times during the year, once a month at the most, some even uh, once a quarter. Monday, Thursday was one of the days, again, because of our Lord's institution, that uh, the congregation always together celebrated the Lord's Supper. And for that reason, church was packed. I can remember when I was a kid that uh, Monday, Thursday rivaled only Christmas Eve and the Easter sunrise service as far as the uh, largest church services in the church here. It's not so anymore. Uh, Monday, Thursday services are um, lightly attended, and I think that probably says as much about our society as it does uh, about what's going on in the Lutheran Church. But I want to read some of the uh, notes from the altar book with regard to the Holy Thursday or Monday Thursday service. Holy Thursday, occurring on the eve of our Lord's crucifixion, begins the celebration of the holy three days of Christ's Passover, commonly known as the Triduum. 
The service on this day culminates the Lenten period of preparation for Christ's passion and resurrection and leads into his sacrifice on our behalf. As such, the service, like that for Good Friday, exhibits a mood of restrained joy. The service of Holy Thursday consists of four parts. Now, we have four main parts in the Easter Vigil service. We talked about that in great length. The four parts of the Monday Thursday service are the service of corporate confession and absolution, the service of the word, the service of the sacrament, and the stripping of the altar. I think it is that fourth part that makes the Monday Thursday so memorable for so many people. So first of all, let's talk a little bit about this service of corporate confession and absolution. Now, many churches use the service of corporate confession and absolution to begin their Lenten journey. They use it on Ash Wednesday. Um, Other than that, it is uh, lightly used or rarely used in a uh, regular worship service. So, Pastor, talk about this expanded service of corporate confession and absolution. Why is it a good thing to do, at least occasionally? It's a good thing to do... um not even just occasionally, but uh, to confess our sins on a regular basis. In fact, I would encourage our listeners to uh, uh, do that with their pastor uh, on a regular basis in private confession absolution so that you might hear the word of absolution spoken for you and for the forgiveness of your sin from your pastor. Uh, We have the service of corporate confession absolution uh, in an abbreviated form every time we have the divine service when we begin with confession absolution. Uh, But this particular service of corporate confession absolution goes in greater detail and talks more directly about what we're doing. Uh, It calls to mind all of our sins uh, for the purpose of uh, preparing and examining ourselves to receive the Lord's Supper. Uh, It gives us an opportunity to know what uh, God says about the Lord's Supper, to examine our sins and to hear a word of forgiveness for those sins so that we might go to the altar and receive God's gifts with joy and confidence that in them we have forgiveness, life, and salvation just as our Lord promises. The service of corporate confession and absolution is in our hymnal. You know, we've talked about uh, you know being at home in your hymnal, knowing what is there for your uh, private Uh, devotional life, as well as the uh, corporate nature of worship, the service of corporate confession absolution has a different paragraph suggested for Monday, Thursday. And I want to read that, and then, Pastor, I want you to react to it. During this Lenten season, we have heard our Lord's call to intensify our struggle against sin, death, and the devil, all that prevents us from trusting in God and loving each other. Since it is our intention to receive the Holy Supper of the Lord Jesus on this night when he instituted this blessed meal for our salvation, it is proper that we complete our Lenten discipline by diligently examine ourselves, as St. Paul urges us to do. This holy sacrament has been instituted for the special comfort of those who are troubled because of their sin and who humbly confess their sins, fear God's wrath, and hunger and thirst for righteousness. That is the opening paragraph in the service of corporate confession and absolution, specifically designed for Monday Thursday. Pastor, comments? Well, it uh, takes what uh, is in the regular service of corporate confession absolution on page 290 in your hymnal, and it 
directs it directly towards what the date in the church year is. Uh, Monday, Thursday, the three days are the beginning of the end of Lent. And so it's a reminder that we uh, are spending our Lenten season in repentance, uh, looking ahead to the cross and resurrection of our Lord Jesus. And uh, it brings that idea to the very front of our mind that uh, during the season we especially... uh, struggle against sin, death, and the devil, and all those things uh, very much more directly than we probably do in the rest of the church year. Uh, And so in that way, it's a very positive thing. It takes something that is common and uh, puts it in place specifically for a special date in the church year. It talks about completing our Lenten discipline. Lutherans don't always talk that way. Completing our Lenten discipline. Um, How would you explain that to someone that might be curious or troubled by that phrase? Well, we don't want to think of it in a way where we are doing things to earn forgiveness for God throughout the season of Lent. You know, uh, we're not giving uh, up eating fish or whatever it is if if you gave something up for Lent for the purpose of making God happy. Rather, uh, it's a reminder to us of who we are, Uh, people who are completely at the mercy of Jesus Christ, people who do not deserve forgiveness, life, and salvation, but instead are given it freely. Uh, We don't have to buy it with gold or silver, but instead Christ has purchased and won us from all sin, from death, and from the power of the devil uh, by his precious blood, innocent suffering, and death. And so our Lenten discipline is putting a a focus on the reality of who we are, sinful people, and the reality of our salvation, uh, Jesus and his mercy. It is as uh, Luther had in his pocket when he died, we are truly beggars, and that's the thing we're reminded of throughout the Lenten season. And God's Word does tell us that we should uh, discipline our bodies. We should not let our bodies, uh, our emotions, our feelings, our thoughts uh, rule us or drive us, but we should uh, have God's Word conform our bodies to be more Christ-like. And while this is not a major, major theme of Lutheran theology, it certainly is included in Scripture, and we should not be afraid of that in any way, shape, and form. And quite frankly, uh, a Lutheran piety, which is really what we're talking about here, should last longer than 40 days, the 40 days of Lent. It should be something that is practiced and encouraged 365 days each and every day of our life. The four parts in the uh, time that we have left, the service of corporate confession and absolution, the service of the word, we have special readings or pericopes that are set aside for Monday, Thursday, Holy Thursday, the service of the sacrament. It would make sense that we would talk about the service of the sacrament on the day when our Lord and Savior Jesus instituted the sacrament, the Lord's Supper. And then the last part is the stripping of the altar. I want to save that stripping of the altar for the very end of our discussion here. We'll do that in uh, segment four. The service of the readings talks about several different things that happened on Monday, Thursday. And I want our listeners to think about this right now. Think about the things that happened to Jesus or around Jesus on Monday, Thursday. 
I want you to see how many that you can come up with. And when we come back from our break, we want to take a look at our hymn, a new hymn for Lutheran Service Book. It was out in a few of the other um, uh, supplements, but it's new to Lutheran Service Book. Number 445, we're going to listen to that verse by verse and recount many of the things that happened to our Lord and Savior on that very, very first Monday Thursday. The title of the hymn is When You Woke That Thursday Morning. It was written by Yaroslav Vida, who is uh, one of the great uh, modern hymn writers. It is a, a kind of a strangely, almost like childish tune, but the words are awesome. So think about all the things that Jesus did or that happened to Jesus on Monday Thursday. And when we come back, we will listen to that hymn and see what God has to teach us. Don't change that dial. This is At Home in Your Hymnal. We'll be right back. My song is Love Unknown, one of the great, uh, beautiful Lenten hymns that sort of recounts much of the life of Jesus. We have lots and lots of fun as we uh, sing that hymn, and yet we're singing not about a fun time, but we're singing about the passion, the suffering, the crucifixion, the pain, the sorrow, the death of our Lord and Savior Jesus. We're looking at the readings for Monday, Thursday. We're looking at the service for Monday, Thursday. This is At Home in Your Hymnal with Pastor Poppy and Pastor Moline. There is one hymn in the hymnal that uh, may not be familiar to you. We only sing it one day out of the year, and that's on Monday, Thursday. I like to sing it at the very beginning of the service because it sets the stage so well for what we're talking about here. And uh, if you have your hymnals at home, it's number 445. When you woke that Thursday morning, the uh, the hymn text is um, uh, written by Yaroslav Vida. The tune is a Marty Hagen tune, and you may be familiar with both of those names. They're very uh, famous names in uh, Lutheran hymnody. The uh, the tune to me has never really quite fit the majesty of this uh, of this hymn, and it is amazing that uh, this hymn does fit to the same tune as uh, Salvation Unto Us Has Come, but um, uh, we're going to listen to hymn 445, When You Woke That Thursday Morning, a hymn specifically written for Monday, Thursday. We're going to listen to verse 1 and uh, pray that the uh, technology works for us here. We're going to listen to verse 1, and then we're going to pick it apart and uh, go from there, and hopefully, by the grace of God, we'll be able to go through all five verses of this hymn. So, here we go. 
When you woke that Thursday morning, hymn 445 in LSB. have it verse one of 445 when you woke that thursday morning uh that tune is uh, in a couple of other hymns in our hymnal so you may be familiar with the tune even if you're not familiar with the words when you woke that thursday morning savior teacher faithful friend talk a little bit about those three titles for jesus pastor savior teacher faithful friend well, I, in our world today, lots of people just want to focus on the last one, faithful friend. You know, what a friend we have in Jesus. And yet, uh, he can't be that unless he's the first two also. He's our Savior, meaning he's the one who is willing to uh, go and bleed and die to forgive us of all of our sins. He's also our teacher. He's the one who gives us uh, pure teaching and doctrine, uh, which is why we uphold it as such an important and valuable thing, uh, the teaching uh, of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's because of those things that he's a friend to us. He's willing to tell us the truth uh, about who he is, about what we should believe, teach, and confess, about what he's done to uh, set us free from our sin. You know, a a friend uh, is not someone who will just let someone go on in a lie. Uh, A friend is not uh, someone who will let them uh, be whoever they want to be. They're willing to speak the truth, even if it might hurt them uh, for their own good in the long run. And I think that uh, uh, that's really who Jesus is. Thoughts of self and safety scorning, knowing how the day would end. How does Jesus not think of himself and his own safety with regard to how this Monday Thursday would end? Well, it's at the end of Monday Thursday, in our way of thinking, uh, or in the Jewish way of thinking at the beginning of Good Friday that evening, um, that Jesus gets arrested, uh, and the mistreatment of him begins, the uh, false accusations uh, and all that. Uh, he is uh, in the Garden of Gethsemane, just to the east of the uh, temple, uh, in such earnest prayer for us that he sweats blood, um, and uh, all these things begin his passion, uh, which finds its culmination the next morning in his crucifixion. I think it's interesting to note, too, he knew how the day would end, and yet he continued to go through on his mission in full obedience to the Father. There there are some that would like to play the game that uh, Jesus was duped, Jesus got accidentally caught up in some kind of political or religious fervor, and uh, that he was uh, an unknowing, unwilling Uh, participant in these events, and that could not be farther from the truth. God's word is clear. Jesus knew, and he willingly went to the cross for us. The next line, Lamb of God, foretold by ages, now at last had uh, the hour had come 
When but one could pay sin's wages, you assumed their dreadful sum. How has the Lamb of God been foretold by ages, and what does this title, Lamb of God, have to do with Jesus? It is uh, all the way uh, throughout the Old Testament that... uh lambs are given as sacrifices to forgive sin, uh, especially for us on Monday, Thursday. Uh, we think of the uh, uh, Passover lamb from the Exodus, which is the Old Testament lesson for Monday, Thursday, uh, which is slaughtered uh, so that death might pass over the people of Israel, even as it claims the firstborn of all Egypt. And so it is that uh, the Israelites are to take a lamb and uh, slit its throat, catch the blood, the blood they put on the door uh, so that God passes over. They take the lamb and they roast it whole. Uh, They don't gut it. They don't take the fur off or anything like that. They put the entire lamb over the fire and roast it whole and then they eat it in haste knowing that God is working outside and that when they wake up uh, or um, when God's work is finished uh, that they can go and leave Egypt. So this finds its fulfillment then in Jesus, uh, especially in the Gospel of St. John, where Jesus has no bones broken, just like the lamb uh, had no bones broken. Uh, Jesus is roasted, in a way, uh, with the fires of hell suffering for our sin upon the cross. The fires of the Father's anger. That's right. The, the, uh, um, the whole... Passover finds its fulfillment in what Christ does uh, on Monday, Thursday, and Good Friday. The uh, the fact that the Passover lamb sheds its blood and then is also consumed uh, is a uh, wonderful picture and allusion to the Lord's Supper. And baptism as well, where God sees the blood and passes over. Uh, that blood is placed upon us in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit as water and the Word wash away our sin. That... Uh, that text that you referred to, the Old Testament reading for Monday Thursday, is Exodus twelve. Is that correct? Do you, do you have that handy, yeah, Pastor? I do. You want to you want to read those words and and what specific verses are you about to read? Exodus chapter twelve, verses one through fourteen. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, "This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you." Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons. According to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or the goats, And you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of the month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the house in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs they shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted its head with its legs and its inner parts." And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. And you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments." 
I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. That was Exodus 12, the Old Testament reading for Monday, Thursday. And the first and second verse of the hymn that we're looking at, hymn 445, when you woke that Thursday morning, talk about this Lamb of God, this Passover meal, the uh, Paschal Lamb of Jesus. Let's listen to verse 2, verse 2 now, of when you woke that Thursday morning, LSB 445. That was verse 2 of When You Woke That Thursday Morning, LSB 445, a beautiful hymn and uh, words that really take us through the uh, days and the events of all the different things that have happened on Monday, Thursday. And at the end of that text, Pastor, we had uh, one last lesson. You, you made the point that Jesus is our Savior and our teacher, not only our buddy, uh, our friend, but one last lesson as our teacher washing the disciples' feet. I think probably the uh, uh, interesting or curious thing about John's gospel in John chapter 13 is that John does not have an account of the institution of the Lord's Supper, but he does have on this Monday, Thursday, the only place in Scripture where we see that Jesus took off his outer garment and he washed the disciples' feet. One of the reasons why we get the, the name for New Command Thursday is this new command that Jesus gives us on Monday, Thursday. And that new command is to love one another as I have loved you. When we come back from our break, we're going to take a look at that gospel reading from John 13. This is at home in your hymnal, Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline. We're looking at the Monday, Thursday service in the church. Don't change that dial. We'll be right back. Bringing Bach back 
Sundays at noon on KNNA. Welcome back to At Home in Your Hymnal. Pastor Clint Poppy, Pastor Adam Moline. We're looking at the service for Monday, Thursday, the first of the three-part service called the Triduum. In uh, part one of this episode, and this episode is episode 13, uh, in part one we looked at the general rubrics for Monday, Thursday. In uh, part two, we looked at the first two verses of hymn 445, when you woke that Thursday morning. And at the end of our last segment, we talked about how Jesus, as a teacher, taught the disciples to wash each other's feet, this new command to love one another. So first, Pastor, before we talk about the specifics, uh, would you be so kind as to read the gospel reading for Monday, Thursday from John 13? Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper... When the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, then you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but he is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. That was why he said, Not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, for you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an an example, that you should also do as I have done for you. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another." Love one another. The example is the foot washing of Jesus. Now, when I was growing up, um, 
we would often mock and uh, make light of the denominations around, like like the Mennonites or the Amish that uh, would not celebrate the Lord's Supper on Monday, Thursday, but would have a foot-washing ceremony as well. I remember uh, when I was at the seminary, one of the professors saying, oh, if you want to have a foot-washing ceremony on Monday, Thursday, you know, pick 12 people out of the congregation and have the pastor wash their feet. And you might want to make sure that they uh, wash their feet before they have their feet washed at church so they're not embarrassed and uh, have nice shoes and uh, no holes in their socks, that kind of a thing. And then that naturally said, well, why don't we have a Paschal celebration? Why don't we have some sort of a save? meal. Um, Why do Lutherans traditionally not do those kind of things like Seder meals and uh, foot washings on Monday, Thursday, and have our focus be on the Word of God, which teaches the Lord's Supper? Pastor? Yeah, I think there's a a danger that is inherent in those things, in uh, people trying to find their salvation in those things. So, for example, the foot washing. Jesus gives that as an example of how we as Christians serve one another, uh, and that that ought to be our identity in Christ. But in no way do we actually earn forgiveness for doing these things. Forgiveness has been won by Christ's work on the cross. uh, And because it's been won, we are free then to serve our neighbor and to love them and to uh, uh, show the same compassion that Christ had on the foot washing. So often when foot washing takes place, for example, the Pope does it every year. And I think last year uh, he made a big deal out of he did it to uh, illegal immigrants for uh, uh, the purpose of showing how illegal immigration was a good thing. You know, and, and it's not a question of who the people are, but he's putting himself above the entire uh, church by showing how he's really a servant to all people, and that's a problem. As for uh, Passover Seder meals, uh, the issue there is, is there's many issues, of course, but uh, number one, we don't receive forgiveness of sins uh, through a Seder meal. We receive it through the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is the fulfillment of what happened in the Passover. All the things that are in the Passover meal point ahead to the Lord's Supper itself. And so for us to go back and say, uh, that's really nice what you did to fulfill that, Jesus, but we want to go back to the original thing where there was no fulfillment is kind of a silly thing in that way. Um, Additionally, uh, from just a purely historical point of view, we have no record of what the Passover Seder service looked like at the time of Jesus outside of Scripture. The earliest Passover Seder meal that we have record for uh, comes from the 11th century, which means there's a thousand years between the time of Christ and the oldest Seder meal that we have recorded for us. And uh, that thousand years Just to say it this way, perhaps, there wasn't uh, a lot of good feelings and kind-heartedness between Christianity and Judaism. And so are we going to take what the Jews had come up with uh, a thousand years after Christ and use that in our churches now? I think it'd be kind of a silly thing to do that. Uh, Let's do the, the thing that Christ instituted that is the fulfillment of all that, and let's have the Lord's Supper instead. We know how quickly traditions can change in the church in just a few years. Can you imagine how things were changed and adapted and warped and twisted over a 
thousand years that way as well. Well, our primary focus is the Lord's Supper, and I want to listen now to verse 3 of our hymn before I have Pastor Moline read the epistle reading for Monday Thursday. Once again, this is When You Woke That Thursday Morning, hymn 445 in uh, Lutheran Service Book, and we are listening now to verse 3 of that hymn. You know, of all the verses in this hymn, and they're all beautiful, this verse perhaps is the best. What was there that you could give them that would never be outspent? Uh, How often we think of things in terms of dollars and cents. And uh, when the money's gone, when the uh, stock portfolio is used up, when the land has been sold, you're done. You start from scratch. So a gift that could never be outspent. A great gift that would outlive them. What last will and testament? And the last will and testament is used in reference to God's gift of the Lord's Supper. Show me in the world you love me. Know me as the Lamb of God. We are known, uh, Jesus is known in the celebration of the Lord's Supper. Wherever you eat this bread and drink this wine, uh, you proclaim the death of our Lord and Savior Jesus. And then, eat this body, drink this blood. This is not mere bread and wine. It is the very body and blood of Jesus in, with, and under bread and wine. That's what the Holy Scriptures teach, the real presence of Christ in the Lord's Supper. Pastor, would you uh, read the uh, epistle reading for... Monday, Thursday. And I believe that's 1 Corinthians 11. Correct. Uh, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three through 32. Uh, and this, in fact, is from St. Paul and is probably the earliest place recorded for us that we have the words of institution. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. This do in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But 
When we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. We have in this uh, text not only the institution of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we have some very sobering words with regard to who attends the Lord's Supper, the responsibility with regard to that, the faithful use of the Lord's Supper, and the blessings and curses that are connected to the Lord's Supper. And we don't like to talk about that very well. Verse 4 of our hymn talks about the unity that is inherent in this meal. So let's listen to verse 4 of hymn 445, When You Woke That Thursday Morning. We have the unity of the Lord's Supper talked about in that particular verse, but we need to be very, very careful here, don't we, Pastor? There are some that would say, it doesn't matter who you are, what you believe, where you come from, come to the Lord's Supper, and the Lord will create unity through this supper. How is that looking at things backwards according to what God's Word teaches? Well, the Lord... um does create unity in the Lord's Supper, I guess you could say, uh, but he does it by uniting our confession of faith. And a confession of faith necessarily uh, excludes those who have a different confession of faith from it. Uh, For example, um, I can say that I'm a Nebraska football fan. That necessarily excludes from that club all those who cheer uh, for whatever reason for the Iowa Hawkeyes or, uh, uh, you know, the Iowa State Cyclones. Or Or the Akron Zips. Yeah. You know, so uh, my confession that uh, this is what I believe necessarily separates me from those who believe differently. And that's the reality in the Lord's Supper as well. All the things that we believe, teach, and confess uh, affect who Jesus is. And uh, therefore, who is it that we're receiving in the Lord's Supper the Jesus that is confessed by all the scriptures and upheld in our doctrine. And therefore, that necessarily excludes those who believe something different about Christ or anything that's a, a periphery to him. And for that reason, we're not in fellowship with them, and uh, we don't partake in the Lord's Supper with them. Okay, well said. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more when we come back from our break. This is At Home in Your Hymnal. We're looking at the service for Monday, Thurva- Monday Thursday. Don't change that dial. We'll be right back. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. One day all the church will capture that bright vision
Welcome back to At Home in Your Hymnal. Pastor Clint Poppy, Pastor Adam Moline. We're looking at the readings for Monday, Thursday, and the Monday, Thursday service in general. What you just heard there as we came back from break was verse 5 of Hymn 445, When You Woke That Thursday Morning. And in that hymn, it was talking, or in that last verse, it was talking about the never-ending feast. It was talking about uh, the rapture, uh, longed-for peace, the greatest and the least. There is an eschatological nature in the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper not only is Christ really present in, with, and under bread and wine for us and for our salvation, but it does give us hope. It gives us hope of um, something bigger to come. And I think one of the parts of our liturgy says uh, a foretaste of the feast to come. Just just a few words about the eschatologic eschatological nature of the Lord's Supper, and that's just a fancy word for saying end of the world, last times. Yeah, that definitely is the reality. In fact, we say in our liturgy with angels and archangels and all the company of heaven, uh, and it's uh, even more than eschatological, it it is all time finds... the Lord's Supper present therein. And what I mean is is that um, every time we have the Lord's Supper, uh, Christ's words of institution bring his body into our presence. Uh, and uh, we partake in the heavenly feast that one day we'll partake in fully. Uh, we do that with the angels and the archangels. All the people who have gone before us uh, partake in that same feast, and all the ones who will come after us uh, partake in that same feast. And so it's uh, maybe a way to think about it is, is that in the Lord's Supper, all of time is circled around the words of Jesus and the distribution of his gifts that he gives to us uh, in that supper. And so it's always that same feast that we partake of when we go to uh, the altar rail and we kneel down and we eat and drink Christ's body and blood. Kind of a cool thing. We have all these things that are happening now in Monday, Thursday. We have Jesus celebrating the Passover meal with the disciples. We have the uh, what is oftentimes referred to as the high priestly discourse in uh, John 14, 15, and 16, where Jesus is teaching the disciples and teaching the church of the things that are to come. They celebrate the Lord's Supper. They have a foot washing. They leave and uh, cross over the brook Kidron and go to the Garden of Gethsemane. In the Garden of Gethsemane, where we have the great Monday Thursday hymn, Go to Dark Gethsemane, uh, Jesus uh, goes off by himself to pray. Three times the disciples fall asleep. He prays with great drops of bloody sweat. A ragtag group of people led by the traitor Judas come, uh, Jesus is betrayed with a kiss, he is arrested, and he's carried off to a kangaroo court. All of these things are happening on Monday, Thursday. We also have this eschatological nature of the Lord's Supper in general, but the things that are happening on this particular night, giving us a picture of that eternal judgment that has already been realized in the life, death, and resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus for us, encouraging us and strengthening us every time we receive the Lord's Supper. One thing that we haven't talked about yet, and we would be remiss if we did not go there, Pastor, one of the most significant aspects of the Monday Thursday service is at the end of the service. 
We've had our corporate confession and absolution. We've heard those readings from Exodus, from 1 Corinthians, from John 13. And uh, I'm sure a sermon on one of those or some aspect of the passion of Christ's death and resurrection. We have celebrated the Lord's Supper. And now, unique in the church year, we have the stripping of the altar. The stripping of the altar. Pastor, uh, you, you are one that uh, has a unique perspective on so many of the liturgical rites in the, uh, and that's R-I-T-E-S, uh, ceremonies in the Lutheran church, because you didn't grow up Lutheran, and you didn't grow up in a church that practiced many of these liturgical things, and so you look at them with a new and a fresh set of eyes. Tell me a little bit about the first time you saw, you witnessed, you experienced the stripping of an altar at a Lutheran church. Right. Uh, you know, it was my childhood when that happened. And you're right. Um, I grew up in a church uh, that had a liturgy that was um, not not good, if you will. Every person is liturgical, whether they realize it or not, uh, from the churches that do more praise worship to the uh, churches more like ours that follow the church history uh, in its uh, liturgy. And the question is, what's the content of the liturgy that you're doing? Is it an inch deep, uh, but it makes you feel really nice and looks good? Or is there a great depth of meaning that's being conveyed and distributed to the person watching it. And I think that uh, the stripping of the altar is a place that conveys uh, great meaning uh, and and deepness and richness uh, as it takes place. When I was a kid, you know, uh, you can actually uh, picture what's happening, going to happen to our Lord Jesus Christ. He's arrested and and brought uh, across Jerusalem again to the the palace of Annas, the high priest, Um, and uh, we found uh, archaeological remains of that uh, just a few years ago. You can go and visit it. Uh, He's kept uh, overnight in a prison, perhaps in the church of St. Peter of Gallicantu, uh, which is also there in Jerusalem. Uh, the next day, he's taken to the um, the the former mansion of Herod the Great, where uh, he's tried before Pontius Pilate. Uh, he's beaten and whipped, and then uh, led out to be crucified. And part of crucifixion is is that uh, they take everything from you that you have. You hang on the cross naked. Uh, your clothes are taken away, and we have this recorded for us in the Gospels. Even uh, Christ's underwear, which was a one-piece tunic, if you will, uh, they take from him and they cast lots to divide it amongst themselves. All these things with the stripping of Christ and the crucifixion uh, are foretold in the words of Psalm 22. And so when you read Psalm 22 and you take the items off the altar and out of the church to strip down the church to its bare necessities, uh, one is picturing and understanding what's about to happen to God for the purpose of saving us from sin. It is a uh, dramatic thing. And uh, in the uh, altar book, this is how it is described. It is customary for the pastor or pastors to strip the altar with the assistance from the altar guild and or the elders. The communion vessels are removed first, followed by the altar cross, missile stand, altar candles, altar pyramids, pulpit and lecture pyramids, chancel candles, candle stands, chancel banners, chancel flowers, and any other items of liturgical use or adornment remaining in the chancel. 
If Psalm 22 ends before the stripping of the altar is finished, then the action should be concluded in silence. Now, we've got a lot here at Good Shepherd when we strip the altar. And one of the things that we have done is uh, we've had a couple of extra psalms in addition to Psalm 22. And we want to make sure that we think that through before we celebrate Monday, Thursday this year. If uh, we want to follow the rubrics in the altar book and limit ourselves to Psalm 22, because that does specifically direct us to the words and the works of Jesus. And uh, folks, you know the beginning of Psalm 22. I know you do, even if you're not familiar with this psalm in its totality. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Verse 1 of Psalm 22, Jesus quotes this psalm from the cross. He knows what lies ahead, and he willingly goes to the cross for you, for me, for the life of the world. He sheds his blood for us and for our salvation. He redeems us, not with gold or silver, but with his holy precious blood and his innocent suffering and death, that we would be his own and live with him and under him in his kingdom, in all innocence, righteousness, and blessedness. The Triduum, which begins with Monday, Thursday, it continues then into the Good Friday services, the noon service, the Traor service, the service of darkness, the Tenebrae service, the grand and glorious Easter vigil that makes the transition from Lent and the passion and crucifixion of our Lord Jesus Christ into the joy of the resurrection. Pastor, we've spent three full programs now talking about the Triduum. We went backwards. We started with uh, the Vigil, then Good Friday, and now this program, Episode 13, with uh, Monday Thursday. Some concluding thoughts with regard to the Triduum in general and the specific nature of Monday Thursday in that three days. The entire point of these services that we've been spending time talking about is uh, to do what the scriptures say, to fix our eyes upon Jesus. Uh, Let us see Jesus. Let us understand what he's done for us. Let us know how desperate our situation is and how much uh, our God has done to take care of that for us. Um, The whole thing surrounds uh, the reality of who Christ is, and that's what this ancient liturgy in all these services brings forward. Uh, that's what the scripture readings bring forward. Uh, the hymns that we sing, that's what they proclaim. Uh, if, if That's why you come to church on these days, so that you can see Jesus. And um, if we can help you focus in that way uh, through these services, praise be to God uh, that your faith might be strengthened through these things. This is so much more than a nostalgic journey down memory lane. This is uh, so much more than God's people getting together to uh, have fun and remember. This is witnessing in word and in deed the great love that God the Father has for you and me and for the life of the world. It is manifest as the body of Jesus, incarnate for us. The body of Jesus hangs suspended between heaven and earth, naked, bleeding, 
dying, oozing his lifeblood for you and me. That very lifeblood that he gives to us in with and under bread and wine to strengthen our faith, to strengthen us for the journey that we call life. The transition moving from death to life that all Christians will face one day in the Easter Vigil. And the joy, oh, the joy of Christ in the resurrection for us. It is my hope and my prayer that uh, these programs would have piqued a curiosity for you. If you are a regular worshiper on Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, and the Easter Vigil, praise be to God. And if not, pick out one or two of these uh, particular services and try them out. We would uh, love to invite you to join us at Good Shepherd on Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, Easter Vigil. Come for some, come for all. As always, we point people to the one Savior from sin, our Lord Jesus Christ. We leave now today with, uh, again, words from that hymn, My Song is Love Unknown. Thanks for tuning in to At Home in Your Hymnal. We'll see you again soon.